Good morning to you. It is wonderful to be back preaching with you this morning. Open with your Bibles, in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Albuquerque has a beautiful skyline. I appreciate the art that's been put up behind us. Catch Wells Fargo and U.S. Eagle and there's a Hurt Call Burt sign back here too if you catch it. Um, even, even more beautiful than Albuquerque's skyline is, of course, Albuquerque's sky. Albuquerque's sky. In some places, the beauty comes by looking down. In other places, looking around. New Mexico seems to have it all over, but, but especially when you look up. There's a reason why so much of the state is roped off for missile testing and such. The atmosphere is clear. Uh, the weather is consistent. For city dwellers, the stars don't catch our notice still. But if you get outside the city, especially in New Mexico, you will find that the night sky is a blanket of glittering stars. You may have been under it. Hold that thought. Adam, Noah, now Abraham. We'll make several stops through the Abraham story this morning. In particular, four chapters you need to just know. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and 22. These chapters tell one story of how God's one plan of salvation is channeled through a family, Abraham and his offspring. It takes place, this particular chapter, under the night sky. And God has something to say as he points to the sky with Abraham. And then after that, there is a strange but profoundly significant ceremony, as we'll see. Let's read the whole chapter, Genesis 15. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my child at my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not not cut birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will 
bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim, the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. This is God's word. A promise of offspring as numerous as the stars above. Faith and righteousness. A heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, a pigeon. Cut in half. Dreadful darkness and a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. What does it all mean? Friends, if you are ever tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God, if you are ever tempted to doubt that salvation really is by grace alone, through faith alone, you really need only take up and read the story of Abraham. So I pray you'll see by the conclusion of our time here. It's all here. This story is the ground of our hope. God's promise of a son of Eve to crush the serpent is now focused in a man and his family. Where should we begin? How about with this question as we look down at the page? Who was Abraham? Who was Abraham? These covenants are not mere abstractions. They aren't just concepts. They're real promises rooted in real history, and Abraham was a real person. So what do we know? Well, six things about Abraham we'll unpack briefly. In the first place, Abraham was one of Noah's descendants. That's where we left off yesterday night. In Noah, God rebooted the creation, and he said to Abram and to Noah, be fruitful, Adam and to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Did Noah's children multiply and fill the earth? Well, kind of, but not really. They multiplied, but they went in the wrong direction. They went up and not out. They multiplied and filled the sky, and the story of Babel may be familiar to you. It's how the corrupt human programming works. Humans figure out together how to make a name for themselves instead of making a great name for God or entrusting him to make a name for them. Like what happens in your home if you have small children after you clean the house, you turn around and it's right back to where it was. And so we are back to right where we were again. So God confused their languages and he scattered them abroad, a judgment, but also a grace to restrain human sin. And so the story of Babel explains the dispersion of peoples across the globe and the differences of language. God made it harder for us to collude to our own peril. And that's the point, to show us our great need and to prepare us for God's great salvation. In the Abraham story, we begin to get some clarity on how this salvation will work out. Abraham was a descendant of Noah. Abraham was also a 75-year-old married successful farm owner from a land in the ancient Near East called Ur. We said Ur and the Chaldeans. And had a family and a business. We're told that he was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And as Joshua tells people, years later, Abraham also served other gods. What does that mean? 
Well, unlike Noah, Abraham was a man of his times. Abraham didn't walk with the God of heaven. He walked with the gods of his imagination, which means he probably also walked with gods in his pocket. It means that Abraham, like all of Adam's kids, rejected the truth about God revealed in creation and exchanged that truth for a lie and exchanged the glory of God for the glory of creation. And so Abraham deserved what Adam deserved, and Abraham deserved what Noah's generation got, which is a striking backdrop for our next answer to the question, who is Abraham? Abraham was also a recipient of tremendous promises, tremendous promises. We began with Genesis 15, but Abraham first appears on our pages by a different name, Abram, before God changes his name, in Genesis chapter 12. Turn there with me, back just a few pages. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, he approaches the man cold, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will, I will, I will get used to those words. Adam's race at Babel colluded to make a great name for themselves, but God will make a great name for Abraham. Three point promises here, a promise of land, a promise of descendants, and a promise of blessing. And Abraham did nothing to provoke God to do this nice thing. He did not work to earn this. He did not set up an account. God did not set up an account where, Adam's, where Abraham's silver would be deposited later. He didn't even have fertility for it. Sarah was barren and they were plenty old for kids. He didn't even pay into some kind of ethnic man publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes with a double stamp prize. I had to look up how that old stuff worked, but I remember that from growing up. God just appears at his door with all of this. Unearned, he was simply the recipient of tremendous promises. Abraham was also a believer. I get calls still from the 505, but I know not to answer the phone. A friend will text. These calls are from some cruise. These calls are from some cruise that's that's calling for me. And I don't stay on the line because I don't I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe what, what this solicitation is promising. What will Abraham do with this call, this extravagant promise that shows up on his door? Chapter 12, verse 4. Very simply. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. With his wife and his things and his family, he went out. And so the Lord, verse 5 in chapter 15 now. And so the Lord brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Noah was a righteous man, but he wasn't righteous. He wasn't righteous enough. But here, Abraham, who's just a guy, 
he's not one walking with the Lord when God comes to him, is credited righteousness because he believes the promise of God. And that's basically what it's going to take for you and I to be with God. He's going to have to credit to our account the righteousness he requires. We should get that point by now in the story. On our own, we will not, do not have the righteousness that God requires that we would need to be with him. So here we see how he's going to get it done by faith and a credit of righteousness. Well, in chapter 22, turn there with me, this Faith, this obedience and faith is tested in a dramatic and a memorable way. As we read the story of Abraham's tested faith, consider the question with me, are God's promises to Abraham conditional or unconditional? And this theme will come up a bit throughout the conference. In other words, does it matter whether Abraham hangs on in faith and obeys or not for whether God's promises will come to pass through him? It would seem that a promise is a promise, and yet listen carefully. After these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am, and he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So he rose early, got his donkey ready, cut some wood, then set out. When he got to the place, he put the wood on his son, put his knife in hand, What an emotional moment that must have been. If I got a call from someone telling me to do this, go out, there's like a great promise of land and I'm going to give you a great name. All right, now take a knife and kill your son. Like eject, I am going home. This is a scam. Well, his son is not a little concerned. Verse seven, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and laid on him the altar, laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will, therefore, surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So why this, why this test? Why this test? Well, to test Abraham's faith. Will he believe and obey? In keeping with that belief, the voice of God. 
So back to the question of whether this, these promises to God are conditional whether, or unconditional, whether God makes the promises and will keep them, or if he makes them, but Abraham's got to do something to make it happen. Verse 16, what did it mean when God said, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Did not God already promise to bless Abraham? Yes, God said, I will, I will, I will, and yes, God will. But he also said, hearing some verses from other chapters nearby, in 17, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And he also said in chapter 18, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. And he also said in chapter 22 here, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. So God made a promise and he will keep it. But God made the realization of that promise conditioned upon the obedience of his covenant partner, Abraham, and Abraham's children. Again, he made the promise and will keep it, but he made the realization of that promise conditioned upon the obedience and the faithfulness of his covenant partner. Which means as we follow the story of Scripture and the story of Abraham's family, we know that God will fulfill his promise, that what he said he will do for Abraham will come to pass. And so we've got to be watching out for an offspring of Abraham that will obey to such an extent that God will, in keeping with his promise, fulfill what he has said. There's a tension there. It'll happen, but how and when and through which seed, which son of Abraham? I'll put a pin in all that. Who is Abraham? Well, he was a descendant of Noah. He was a worshiper of foreign gods. He was the recipient of tremendous promises. And he was a believer in the promises that God made. Fifth, Abraham was also, was also a father. We often refer to Abraham as Father Abraham. We're right to do that. He was. The rest of the Bible is actually the story of Abraham's family. And here we are, Abraham's family. But with that family, we can identify different types of kids. So I'll point out two types of kids right here. Abraham had his physical children, Ishmael and Isaac, if you're familiar with the stories, and all the children that would come from them. So all of Abraham's physical children. But then Abraham also had a special line, a, a chosen line, as God elected down the line his chosen Abrahamic children. God chose Isaac over Ishmael. The rest of Genesis is the story of Abraham's children and what came from them. He chose Jacob over Esau. How would his elected children be marked out? Well, a covenant sign. God put a bow in the sky, like hanging his war bow up to communicate something specific about his promise to Noah. So what would be the sign of the covenant for Abraham and his children? Well, the sign of circumcision. Chapter 17 now. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. 
Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in the house or bought with your money from a foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in the house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall the covenant in your flesh be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. A physical marker to mark out Abraham's children. Not a marker to ensure ethnic purity included servants from other nations. It was, not, it was for that same reason, clearly not a marker to ensure the place of those of a certain social status. It's a marker for those who belong to Abraham's family. And big plans there are in God's plan for this family. Kings will come from them. This is the end of, the end of uh, at the end of Genesis, we read that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, one of Israel's tribes, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Kings will, will come, ruler will come from this family. So Abraham's, Abraham's a father, and there's a family to grow here, and there's a story to unfold. Sixth, Abraham was also a sinner and a son of Adam. Oh, we see it sprinkled throughout these pages, and it's for us to see. We're right to train our eye on the faith of Abraham who believed the promises of God, but we must remember that God's promises are what saves. Right after Abraham is given the initial promises, a famine strikes and he flees Egypt. And so obviously Abraham says to his wife in chapter 12, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Go Abraham. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Well, at least Sarah knew that he thought she was pretty. <laughs> Later, after the cutting ceremony, which we read at the head, they decide to fulfill God's promise without God. And so Sarah says to Abraham, chapter 16, the Lord has prevented me from bearing a child. So you go into my servant... It may be that I shall obtain a child by her. So God's not getting his own promise done. I have an idea. And of course, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Sarai at the time. Then their children were trouble. Isaac and a couple of kids. Jacob would pretend to be Esau in order to thieve his birthright. Jacob and a bunch of kids. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. The whole story is... Is, uh, it's, 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 it's humans in the context of a fallen world doing what they do. And yet this family is chased by God with these great promises. And all of this, all of this, this sin, is why we find Abraham asleep in chapter 15 with a smoking pot passing through the pieces. It's not normal that one of the covenant partners would be, be asleep. What was that all about? Well, the fire pot and the torch represent God, and what was God saying by going through the pieces that night? Well, we get a not-so-subtle insight by reading about what God said regarding a covenant that Israel broke through Jeremiah. And we'll just listen in for a moment to Jeremiah. Through and the Lord says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, 
You have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me. I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. By going through the pieces... God was saying, I call a curse upon myself if I do not fulfill this. If I break this covenant, I will be as these cut into animals. I will do what I have said. By going to the pieces with Abraham asleep, God was saying, it all depends on me. Here's what that means. If this is going to happen, it's going to be God who does it. How God would do it and how that relates to the obedience of a son of Abraham will become more clear in the unfolding of the story of the Bible. It is not clear here. It's a mystery, as Paul says, how this will come about. That it's a mystery revealed to us in Christ. But that God would do it at this point is a settled matter. We saw how the Noah piece fit with the Adam piece last night. Well, how does this piece of the Bible's puzzle fit with what came before? Well, let's look back. Abraham was promised three things, right? Land, descendants, and blessing. These promises are rooted in God's promises, purposes for his creation that we heard about last night for humanity. How? Well, what does the land promise to Abraham have to do with with Eden? Well, Eden was the original land. What's good about the land to which Abraham will go? That God will be there with his people and it will be a holy place, a land flowing with milk and honey, kind of a new Eden. It will be a a bringing back of that original situation. The great thing about the land to which Abraham is going is that God will be there with his people. So the land is like a new Eden. Eden. And what does this promise of descendants have to do with Adam? Well, Adam's race was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. Humans fill the earth with violence, but through Abraham's family, God is going to get the original thing done. Just not, but not just in Abraham's physical descendants. Which brings us to the third promise of blessing. What does God's blessing of Abraham have to do with with Adam. Well, in Genesis, we find a recurring note of blessing. You need to read through Genesis and highlight all the times God blesses. You'll find there's blessing going on at the highest points, highest turns of the book. It opens with blessing. Genesis 1, God created man in his own image and he blessed, blessed them. And it ends with blessing. Jacob, the father of 12 sons, each of his own tribe, blesses each of his children. He blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. The story in between us is a story of generations unfolding, and at each high point is a blessing. And God blessed Noah and his sons, for example, last night. And Abraham would be blessed, and he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And God blessed Isaac, his son, and, and so on. 
land, descendants, and blessing, God now through Abraham is extending his original purpose for the creation through this man and his family. And this is important. So much of the Bible's story keys off of what happens with Abraham that we can tend to see this is where the story starts and everything else as a kind of prologue. You might be able to relate with that. Like you can trace the story back to Abraham, but then there's creation and the Noah thing, which are helpful, but maybe not intimately tied in with what God starts with Abraham. What God starts with Abraham is something he started long ago. And it bears out when we consider the ultimate goal of God's purposes to Abraham, a land of descendants and blessing. These promises extend into the future God's purposes from the past. Well, as a story about God's promises to Abraham, it's also a story for us. It's also actually our story. This is our story. Yes, the cutting ceremony. Yes, the circumcision bit. Paul says in Romans 4, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only, but for ours also. It was counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. What was written, said to Abraham, and written concerning Abraham was written for us also. So how does the story from so long ago inform and fuel our hope for today. Well, let's now, let's now look ahead in the story. The best way to answer this question is to put our own ear down to the pages of the New Testament and to hear how the New Testament authors preach the gospel, if you will, from the Abraham story. Now, there's a whole lot of Abraham references in the New Testament. I'll do kind of like a preached whirlwind tour here. Think of Genesis 3.8, sorry, Galatians 3.8. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. He preached the gospel, and in preaching to Abraham, he's also preaching through Abraham to us today. For what was written then was also written for us. So, how is the gospel preached through Abraham? Six ways. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation by grace. Abraham was not looking for God. God came to him in grace. Abraham's kids become a nation under Moses. Moses died. Joshua took the lead. And this is what he said to his people about their beginnings. In Joshua 24, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, and the father of Abraham, of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Then I took, I led, I made, I gave what Abraham received, he received by God's initiative and God's grace. Paul made the same point in Romans 4, verse 16. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, as it is written, 
I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, don't miss that last line there. God is the one who calls into existence things that do not exist. When he goes and gets Abraham, and when he turns the lights on and shines the light of Christ's glory in your heart so that you are converted, he is calling into existence something that does not exist. When he goes to Abraham, he is doing something like what he did at creation. When he said, let there be, let there be, let there be. He calls into existence something that does not exist. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation by grace. So friends, hear the gospel of grace in the story of Abraham. And through Abraham, God is preaching salvation through faith. We've already heard that it depends on faith. It comes in grace and we receive it by faith. Why aren't works required? Well, in the book of Romans, which cites Abraham extensively, the apostle Paul has made in his first three chapters an airtight argument for the total corruption of the human race and the total condemnation of the human race. You cannot get out of the grip of Romans 1 through 3. There is no hope for you unless God does something, unless righteousness is made available apart from works and through faith. And Paul argues that this is consistent with the whole story from the Abraham story. In Romans 4, when he writes, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In verse 18 of chapter 4, in hope Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted as righteousness. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he said. And so his faith, trusting the gracious promises of God, offered to him by grace and not account of his works, by trusting those promises, by faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation through faith. So friends, hear the gospel of salvation through faith alone and the story of Abraham. Well, what becomes of our sin? Abraham's got sin. There's a reason why he needs righteousness counted to him. Abraham's story doesn't fully answer this, but it does hint toward an answer. In Genesis 22, 8, Abraham said... God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And there are going to be more lambs to die in the place 
of people on account of their sin across the story to come. Here's one. There will be more. And of course, there will be one lamb who dies, who can take away all of our sin, who can truly die in our place. As we've sung, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid. Every sin. Jesus on the cross dies in the place of sinners and takes away their sins. And this is how God can take our sins away and credit to us righteousness. All of that will become more clear as the story unfolds, but there's a a shadow of it here. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation through substitution. So friends, hear this gospel in the story of Abraham, the gospel of substitutionary atonement. Well, through Abraham, God is also preaching salvation for a new heart. And where is that from? Well, circumcision, of course. Not of course. You, you kind of need God to explain what's going on here. And he does. The physical marking, yes, that's, it's doing something there to set God's people apart. But it has a deeper meaning. There's more to it in Deuteronomy chapter 10. The Lord commands his people, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your, your heart. Your heart and be no longer no longer stubborn. In Deuteronomy 30, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul, and that you may, you may live. So there's a physical surgery that sets God's people apart in, in physical terms, but there's, a, there's an inward spiritual surgery that's needed. And they're commanded to circumcise their hearts. And God says, I will bring you into the land. I will circumcise your hearts so that you will love me. There's a spiritual surgery to be conducted. The prophets speak of the day when this spiritual surgery, this transformation from within, happens. Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will, I will, I will. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will conduct spiritual surgery on you. I will circumcise your hearts. And Paul tells us that this spiritual surgery has come in Christ and in his life, his death, and his resurrection in Colossians chapter 2. So beautiful. You can't hear it right without some of the development we've just done. In him also you were circumcised. Christians, in him also you were circumcised. With a circumcision made without hands. By putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you are now raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. What did he do with them? By canceling the record of debt. How? That stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So it's through the work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that the transformation on a human person 
to circumcise their hearts. This inward spiritual surgery is made possible. And through conversion, through conversion, through regeneration, we are become a new creation. As Jesus was raised from the dead, we are raised new creatures. And what God pictured in shadow form through physical circumcision becomes a reality in the inward transformation of a new people, which is what he really wants. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation for a new heart. And so, friends, hear the gospel, which gives us a new heart in Abraham. And through Abraham, God is preaching a salvation to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. In the New Testament, we read about a mystery that is now revealed. There is a, a tension in the Old Testament story as to how the things God is promising and in the terms he's promising them will come about. And what is that mystery? It's the mystery of how God will bless Abraham's children and through them the nations and how it is that all the Gentiles will be included in salvation, how Abraham's salvation will be both Abraham's and for the nations. And we read this in Galatians chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying... And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In verse 16 in Galatians 3, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. It's interesting. Uh, the promises are made to Abraham and those who follow from him. The thing is, is that the Abrahamic covenant and promise is made in the context of the promise from Genesis chapter 3.15 of a son. And Abraham knows it, and we know it from reading scripture, that that son is going to come from that family. Christ, the true son of Abraham, who truly believes. In Galatians 3.26 then, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, which is why I call you Abraham's family this morning if you're in, if you're in Christ. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation to the ends of the earth. So friends, hear the gospel for the nations and the story of Abraham. God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham, all the families of the earth, is expressed and seen in the fact that this is a room full of people who are in Christ, who are not biologically from Abraham's line, but they're joined to Jesus, the true son of Abraham, and our children of Abraham for that reason. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation to the ends of the earth, so hear the gospel the nations in the story of Abraham. Finally, through Abraham, God is preaching salvation leading to a heavenly city. Salvation to a heavenly city. Abraham knows this will be more than a plot of land. Can't get inside his head on the ground of the book of Genesis, but we can through the New Testament authors, inspired as they are. How can I say this? Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, 
whose designer and builder is God. Well, that's something Abraham was looking forward to. His gods were territorial deities. But he knew that this God, the one true and living God who made heaven and earth, was not a territorial deity, but had plans that image bearers would fill the whole earth with his glory. He would not stop with land, but he would start there. Which is why Paul can write of Abraham in Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the what? Heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness and faith. Heir of the world. Through Abraham, God is preaching salvation leading to a heavenly city. So friends, hear the gospel which leads to a new creation in the story of Abraham. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. In the book of Hebrews, we have a catalog of those who believed in God's promise. And Abraham's one of those. And then we have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and were to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And to fix our eyes on Jesus and to know who Jesus truly is, we need to know something of the story that comes before and the line of those who believed before him. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow in faith as Abraham did. So Christians, as you look up at the stars tonight, remember the gospel preached to Abraham. And if you're in Christ, you're a part of that blanket of stars that are the people of God. From Ur, God called Abraham and called into existence something that did not exist. And from Sarah's womb, God brought forth a child, and that child yielded a family. And that family, a nation, and that nation, a king. And that line, the son of God. And if you're a Christian, God has called you out of darkness into light. And he's shown the light of his glory, the glory in the face of his son into your heart. And he has said, let there be light and made something that did not exist. You look at the stars, remember that God turns the lights on. And Christians, when you go to sleep tonight, consider that while Abraham slept, God performed the covenant ceremony saying, in effect, I will get it done. And since you have a mountain here, here's something to think about when you think up that hill. Abraham took his only son up Mount Moriah, and there was one to take his son's place. There the Lord provided an offering. The Lord provides. The Lord provided a substitute for Isaac. But many years later, when the father took his son, his only son, up a hill, there was none to take his place His son was the offering. His son was the substitute. And in Romans 8, we are right to hear an echo from the story of Abraham and Isaac when we read, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? Oh, he will. He spares nothing and he gives everything. Salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that salvation is by grace.
through faith. We thank you that it has come all the way to us. We thank you that on the story, the pages of the story of Abraham, we have little flickers and trajectories and indications of where this thing is going. And we thank you that we live on this side of the cross so that we get it and we can read the story in the full light of the coming of Jesus. And Father, as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, so we believe and we know that our righteousness comes from him. And as Abraham walked and lived and looked forward to a city whose maker and builder is God, so help us to do the same. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.